Welcome to Tamra Talk Circular, where we explore how businesses, municipalities, and governments are collaborating towards a circular economy. I'm Me Too Moran. On this show, we've talked a lot about plastic waste and the challenges the world faces. And while some solutions are more Band-Aid fixes than anything else, it's generally agreed that we need something real, something that makes true impact when it comes to solving this crisis. And in fact, there might just be a promising process that just got started in Uruguay. The United Nations Environment Program was founded in 1972 following a landmark UN conference on the human environment and was charged at that time with monitoring the state of the environment, informing policymakers with science and coordinating responses to the world's environmental challenges. And I think we'd all agree those challenges have gotten even bigger in the last 50 years. Last week, UNEP met in Uruguay to start the process of establishing a legally binding global plastics pollution treating. And Tamra was there. Joining me today is Jakob Rogenhaug, Vice President, Public Affairs, System Design at Tamra. Having been in the industry for around 25 years, Jakob is an expert in waste management and what it really takes to move towards a circular economy. Jakob, welcome to the program. Thank you, me too. It's a pleasure to be here. So Jakob, let's, let's get into this. What is this treaty? Is that what it is? What is this treaty really about? Yeah, so in, um, in February this year, at the resume of the fifth session of the United Nations Environment Assembly, this historic resolution was adapted to start negotiation on a legally binding instrument on plastic pollution, including in the marine environment. This instrument is to be based on a comprehensive approach that addresses the full life cycle of plastic, promoting sustainable production and consumption from product design to environmentally sound waste management. And it's going to emphasize on resource efficiency and circular economy approaches to reach this. And what does that look like? What is the process going to be? Well, the target is to have uh, the instrument in place by the end of 2024. In the meantime, there will be five intergovernmental negotiation committees. The first one was last week in Uruguay, and the next one will be in uh, Paris in May uh, next year. And there will be three more uh, then before the end of 2024. Uh, the first session really addressed the rules of procedure, administrative elements, uh, but also picking on the process and the topics to be discussed in the next INC. So we are in the early stage uh, still. So that's what you saw. That's what happened last week, right? In Uruguay. Uh, exactly. Okay. So let's stick to that. What did you actually experience in Uruguay, as, along with these uh, structural sort of framework setting? Yeah, no, it was, was a great experience. Just to say that, so Tomra had a delegation of four people in Uruguay during the event. And, and as Uruguay was uh, hosted, uh, was the host nation, they also used the opportunity uh, to announce the decision to implement the deposit return system for beverage uh, containers. So the environmental ministry of Uruguay had also asked us there to have a reverse vending machine at uh, their booth at the venue uh, to showcase uh, and 
put uh, some emphasis on this announcement from them. So all in all, we were four people there. And how prevalent is um, deposit return system or DRS? Because this is also something we've talked about on this podcast. Is it fairly commonplace in Latin America? Uruguay is the first country in Latin America to make a decision on implementing a extended producer responsibility driven DRS. Uh, this is um, done in uh, when it's implemented as a extended producer responsibility scheme. It's also similar, more similar to what we see in, in most of Europe, US and Australia and so on. Okay. So this was announced. Anything else? Uh, yes. Together with several of our partner organizations, we participated also in the multi-stakeholder forum that was held on the 25th of November, um, two days before the INC formally started, to provide input from multi-stakeholders, industries and others to uh, the negotiating parties. Uh, this is an early stage, as, as I've said. Uh, so it's too early to really say whether this will be an effective treaty or, or, or not. Uh, but having said that, it was quite uplifting to witness the engagement demonstrated uh, at the INC from a wide range of countries and multi-stakeholder communities. Uh, the call for legal measures and mandatory system is very strong, acknowledging that volunteer systems is, is not enough. Uh, and this is maybe the most uplifting and, and important takeaway for me personally from this, this event. Yeah, I can imagine uh, to actually have someone or have groups that are actually coming together to stand behind such a binding agreement. Who you, you said there were multiple stakeholders there. Who, who are the key players? Yeah. So although all countries seem to agree to stop plastic pollution, there are um, maybe two different approaches uh, represented by the countries. One is a more top down uh, approach with mandatory global rules and standards. The other one is a more bottom-up approach um, that is built up on national action plans and where targets are set by each country. This second one may be more modeled after the Paris Climate Agreement. So the, a high, one example of the first is the High Ambition Coalition. This is a country coalition chaired by Norway and Rwanda. It represents today about 50 countries, including EU and UAE. Uh, and it's, uh, the, they represent the view which uh, is in majority here, I would say. Uh, and they are pushing for top-down elements to be part of the instrument. While on the other side, you have US and Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, are more promoting a treaty based on national action plans. Okay, so that all still has to be hammered out, I guess. What about um, what about non-governmental players? What are they talking about? What are their priorities? Yeah, so at this first INC, it was organized this multi-stakeholder forum, and uh, this allows for um, businesses, industries, environmental NGOs, civil society, uh, and more to raise the voice and, and provide the input. So maybe not so unexpectedly, you had uh, environmental NGOs really 
promoting cutting plastic production. You had the civil society really raising the concern for informal waste pickers. You had the science environment bringing up the toxicity of plastic. All of these may be not so uh, unexpected, but important factors to be raised and considered in the process. What was more, let's say, surprising for me is the voice from the business and the industries. I think we are really seeing now that this voice is splitting up. Uh, For example, the Business Coalition for a Global Plastic Treaty, a coalition chaired by EMF and WWF, it's representing more than 80 businesses, financial institutions and organizations, clearly make a call for a legally binding treaty, stating that national action plans is not enough. If you go back some few years to see larger brands, even some of the plastic producers calling for mandatory requirement, stating that volunteer systems is not enough, uh, this is clearly clearly a shift. Not all businesses and industries are on there yet. uh, And that is why I think we see now for first time a really clear, clear split. And I hope more will will move in that direction. It's really going to be interesting to see Uh, to what extent the top-down elements will come through in this uh, treaty. I think uh, if it's only based on national action plans, this is probably not enough to accelerate and and provide the speed for change that is is needed. Okay. Um, So as we said, you, along with three Tamra colleagues, were in Uruguay. So I'm guessing we also, as industry, have a a role to play in this. What is Tamra's role in this process? So we see, I mean, it's 50 years ago since Tamra developed the world's first reverse vending machine for collecting empty beverage containers. Uh, Today, we are global leaders with sensor-based sorters in the waste and the recycling industry as well. We have experience for more than 100 countries. So what we have is experience on what is working and what is not working. And we are fully committed then to bring this experience up to every player that are involved in the treaty process to help them to form an effective treaty. Okay. And what does that mean exactly? What's Tamara's recommendation? Yeah. So the good news here is that systems actually exist that can dramatically reduce plastic pollution and promote circular economy for plastic. But it is a fact, and from our experience, these systems require regulation. So uh, effective systems, like for instance, uh, deposit return systems, uh, you know, we could address up to 20% of all the littered items found on beaches around the world. Uh, They are recorded to be beverage related, up to 20% when you look at uh, uh, the statistics of items found on beach cleanups. And uh, a well-functioning DRS will typically have collection rate far above 90%. Uh, so a dramatic impact, proven system. Mixed waste sorting before incineration and landfill, we see can typically increase recycling rate by two to five times. Advanced mechanical recycling can actually bring other things than 
PET bottles back into virgin-like quality uh, and be used into high-valuable applications and thereby reducing the need for virgin material. So these systems exist. But what we really need is mandatory policies and regulations to generate fair economic drivers for overall sustainability so we can effectively address plastic pollution. And this also needs to be done in a way where you have collaboration and synergies between private and public sector. So are we talking here about um, extended producer responsibility or are we talking about something else, Jakob? That is one important element. If I under this will bring up three elements, I mean, one basic thing, all waste need to be collected. We need to stop illegal landfilling and open burning. Uh, and unless you collect the waste, you cannot uh, process it and turn it back into new raw material. That makes sense somehow. The second element is to really set high uh, recycling targets. Because when you set high targets, you will immediately start looking at solutions that can deliver uh, the performance that is needed. With low targets, you might uh, embark on dead-end roads with systems that are not able to bring sustainable performance. And then when you have strengthened the general uh, waste management in cooperation with municipalities, you have high targets, the extended producer responsibility really come in uh, to help both bringing finance to waste collection, sorting and recycling. It can help to a well-designed EPR system, help to drive a demand for new recycled material, um, for use of recycled material, uh, and a well-designed EPR scheme can also motivate reduction, reuse, and a design for recycling. So it's really helping to, to bring uh, a lot of important elements in place for, for true circularity. Okay, you, you make it sound so easy, Jakob. It makes me wonder why we're not there yet. So what are the next steps in this process? Yeah, so uh, the, the formal process. So in Uruguay now, there was um, a couple of uh, items in the rule of procedures that were not concluded. Uh, this was um, maybe a, a slight disappointment that it was targeted to be concluded, but there will be, by the, the chairman, there will be going on with the individual consultations on these topics. So this will not really delay the pr progress of the uh, negotiations a lot, because they also now agreed on the way forward, addressing the scope and option elements for the treaty. Uh, so this process will go on in between the sessions. Uh, there are ways of providing uh, input uh, to this. There will be a draft that will send uh, on circulation from the secretariat. Uh, and then this draft, this draft will be negotiated at, at the second INC in Paris in, um, that starts in the 22nd of, of November. In, in Paris, I believe it was in May, right? Yeah. Okay. Jakob, um, thank you very much for, for coming in on this special episode of Tarma Talk Circular. I know we've talked about this. You'll be coming back and keeping us uh, updated on what's going on in this process as we continue in the next meetings, first one in Paris, and then I think three you said after that. But I want to switch gears just for a second. We are coming to the end of what might be considered to be a very challenging year. And on a personal note, 
I'd like to know what kind of message do you have to share as we start to look into 2023? Yeah, that's, a, that's a big question. But coming from you know a big discussion in, in Uruguay, what I really see needed there is, um, you know, we need collaboration. Uh, we need to embrace change for plastic pollution to end we need a system change we need to embrace that change and and i also think we we really need to make a balance between the focus on personal gains uh, and the benefit of the the greater good uh, this will apply for the be important i think for the um, treaty negotiations that will be very exciting to follow in the next year and maybe can also apply beyond there I like that. We need to find a balance between personal objectives and the greater good. And I think we can not only say that when it comes to plastic pollution, but generally in the way society could and probably should develop. Thank you again, Jakob. And we look forward to having you back in May next year. Thanks. Thank you, Mito. Looking forward to that. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating, subscribe and turn on notifications. To comment on this episode, visit circular-economy.tomra.com slash podcast.